Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston Proper. You are live from the path. And you're listening to Live from the Path. We're coming from the Pathway Studios here in Johnson Proper. It is uh, good to be with you here on this... Um, you don't care what the temperature is. It's nice outside. Well, it's, I mean, it's cold. You don't care. Anyway, I appreciate you guys hanging out with us so far tonight. Uh, I, I, I'm excited about the show. I, I told you a little bit about this uh, last week, that this was going to be a possibility, uh, that I had a mystery interview that I thought might come through, and, and it did, and I'm super excited about it. So um, I'm gonna. Uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend the first ha- probably um, I don't know 15, 20 minutes of the show uh, talking with Kevin Cloud, and uh, Kevin is the author of a book, God and Hamilton, uh, and this is an intersection of two things I, I very much love. Uh, certainly disproportionate to the God part above the Hamilton, uh, but but uh, on the radar. So um, we're gonna talk to Kevin, and we're gonna learn about his book. Um, I'm gonna get you in on the pre-orders of it. And the opportunity to pick up some tickets in the Des Moines area. So um, we're going to kick over to that. And then we've got some uh, advice on Dear Life from the Path. People need help. And um, they certainly don't intend to call into Internet Radio to get it. So we're going to act like they wrote to us and uh, see if we can help out and look look at some stuff, uh, hopefully through Jesus' lens. And, um, I don't know, see if we can make some headway on the world's problems. So that's, uh, that's the gist of the show tonight. It'll be short and sweet. Um, but I do appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Oh, and the uh, the interview from last week with Egypt Ali. If you go to lifeinthepath.org, you can check that out. Uh, just go ahead and uh, hit up the um, hit up the website, and that interview is sitting out there ready to go. Uh, that was a long one, um, but it was really, really good. And if you did not pick up that Cathedral's album um, from Egypt, uh, that is out and it is ready to rock. So go pick that stuff up and take a listen, and uh, uh, you will definitely enjoy it. All right, so let's, uh, let's kick this over. We're going to talk to... Uh, Kevin Cloud. Kevin is a church planner. Um, he is a pastor, and he is also author of the uh, of the forthcoming book, uh, God and Hamilton. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Live from the Path. Yeah, so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So I, I'm excited about uh, about this book. And so uh, oddly enough, uh, I was just scrolling Facebook one day, and then your uh, you had a sponsored ad out there for the book, for the Kickstarter, uh, to help fund um, the, the book and the distribution of the book. And um, I was super excited for it. Hamilton, um, uh, I've not seen, uh, but I have heard. And uh, just, there are just multiple elements that, that, that fascinate me and engage me. Um, so I was super excited to see that um, that you had kind of grabbed a hold of this and, and, and tied what I think are, are um, maybe more overt than what people recognize, the spiritual themes within the musical, um, and helped to, to really kind of to bring it up to life. So let's start with, like, your what was your initial, your first interaction with the Hamilton musical? Was it seeing it? Was it hearing it? How did you first kind of run into it? Yeah, so we kind of lucked out into some tickets in Broadway about two and a half years ago. And so when we knew we were going to go see it, we actually started listening to it at home just to kind of prepare ourselves for it. And after seeing after seeing it live, you know, I walked out of the theater knowing that it was a, a brilliant piece of art, obviously a brilliant musical, uh, groundbreaking musical, everything everybody said about it. Yep. But I also walked out of the theater feeling like I had just experienced something that was deeply spiritual. Um, you know, these themes that you see played out in the story of grace and forgiveness and despair and surrender and redemption, it felt like it hit on, on all of the, the great themes of the spiritual life. And, you know, there were moments where something would happen on stage in the, in the theater and 
it was almost like the entire atmosphere of the theater changed because something so profound had just happened or something that revealed truth in a really powerful way happened. Or, or, or maybe even, you know, you could even use the language that, that somehow the spirit of God was present and there and speaking to people who had ears to hear. And so I watched the musical and felt, felt the sense of it being a deeply spiritual experience. And then I went home and I read the Chernoff biography. Yep. That, that the musical was built on. And, you know, I knew nothing about Alexander Hamilton like most people before the show came out. And it was a deeply moving experience reading this book and reading about his life and his faith and maybe even more so Eliza and her faith. Yep. I mean, both of these people were just deeply faithful people. They were not perfect, obviously. But, um, you know, Alexander, he comes to America and he goes to a, a college where he attends chapel twice a day. He prays. His, his roommate remarks about how moving and, and touching his prayers were uh, in his later years of his life. There's there's stories of his kids talking about him reading the scriptures to him and him wanting to build them a chapel on the land that he buys on his deathbed. Uh, he, he invites two or three different priests and pastors to come and, and read him his last rites, and he confesses his, his dependence on the mercy of Christ. And I mean, there's just all these moments where where you can tell this was a deeply spiritual man. And again, not a perfect man, a flawed man, but a, but but it's a it's a spiritual story that this is that musical is, is telling. And and the other the other thing that made me think about writing this book is the more I heard other people talk about it, I heard people talking about it not only in terms of of again a brilliant musical, but as a life changing experience. And it just made me think, man, what is happening in this play that people go and see that they would speak of it in in that um, that compelling of a term? Right. I, I heard a theater critic once say that. It felt like uh, a fresh wind was blowing through the theater as he watched Hamilton. And so, again, I'm just hearing people use this language that, that I w- would attribute to a, a very spiritual reality, the presence of God in this in this story. And so I just wanted to write a book to help people kind of connect those dots and see the themes that I saw so deeply in this story. So, so you had done uh, an interview with Lauren Boyd, um, who who was uh, is part of the show. Is that right? Yeah, she is in the – She's in the Broadway cast right now. Okay, awesome. How did you how did you hook up with her? So when I when I started thinking about writing this book, I just started reaching out to a bunch of different Hamilton cast members. Yeah. And I either, you know, get on Instagram and direct message them or I try to reach out to their agents and actually probably had five or ten that were intrigued and that at least, you know, were open to me sending the manuscript. Uh, but Lauren was uh, probably out of everybody kind of the most enthusiastic about it. And she immediately you know, was excited about reading it and wrote a really kind endorsement for the book. And uh, we've you know, done a podcast together and kind of gotten to know each other just a little bit through emailing and, and talking about the musical. And uh, it's been really fun connecting with someone who who's a part of the cast and who experiences this on the other side of the stage, obviously, than, than we do as the audience. Uh, but who but who can feel those same moments in the theater. You know, she, at one point she said something – Something to the effect of when she's on stage, she she feels those moments just as profoundly as the audience does when something significant happens in the story and when 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 some kind of a truth kind of comes to bear in the story. And so it's been really fun kind of getting to know her a little bit and, and hearing her perspective on the, on the on the play. You know, she told a really interesting story about a tradition that got started with Chris Jackson, who was the original George Washington on Broadway. And he's a, a, a spiritual man and a faithful man, and, and he would gather up the cast before every performance and they would pray they would pray for the show they would pray for that evening and they would pray that every single person that left the theater would be changed by that experience whether they were in the in the on stage whether they were in the orchestra pit or whether they were the audience 
and so they, so they were praying in that tradition. Lauren told me it continues to this day, where however many of the cast members are a- able to circle up and they pray and they ask that that this show would change people's lives, and I think that's happening. Well, that's that's great, and, it, and that, that's actually the part that stuck out as I was kind of reading through the transcript of the interview. Um, it's kind of those those moments of, of transcendence. Um, do you, when you were there watching, do you recall? Um, you kind of, I think, spoke to this, but like, what specific part of the play or the moments that that kind of felt that way for you? Yeah, sure. There were there were a lot of them. Maybe probably the most powerful ones. Um, you know, the the, the song "Quiet Uptown." Yeah, yeah. Uh, where where they're where they're struggling with the with the death of their son and the rebuilding of their marriage after Alexander has has betrayed Eliza so deeply, um, and and you know he he betrays her in this affair and then he he makes the affair public in a pamphlet he writes basically to try to save his own political career. So now he's he's basically betrayed her twice, right? Yeah. And so they're they're struggling with the rebuilding of their marriage. They are dealing with the loss of their son and. And Alexander is asking for forgiveness, and it's really fascinating because in in that song, Eliza is is cold and distant. And at one point, Alexander reaches out and touches her arm, and she flinches. I mean, you can see the distance in her body language, but slowly she softens. And then and then at kind of towards the end of the song, she starts singing with him, and the whole chorus sings this line: "Forgiveness, can you imagine?" And Oh my gosh, it is such a powerful moment. I mean, you hear people tell stories of weeping when that moment happens, when forgiveness is finally offered. Uh, another moment for me that was really powerful is the very last song, where Eliza is singing about the orphanage that she builds. Oh yeah, yeah. And the idea that this this is actually the last chapter of my book. It's about redemption, and it's the idea that Alexander, who grew up as an orphan, this was the most broken part of his life. Right? This was this was a wound that he carried with him his entire life, and Eliza as as his wife, I'm sure, carried that with him and carried that burden with him. And then she felt called by God. I mean, she there's there's things that she has written where she felt a clear call by God to be a part of this group that started this orphanage. And to me, it's just a beautiful picture of how God takes the most broken parts of our lives and somehow makes them beautiful, right? Eliza takes this broken part of Alexander's life and then uses that as a way to redeem these other children who have a really bleak future and a bleak possibility in front of them and she all of a sudden opens the door to a brand new uh you know grace that that they would have never been able to experience without that and so as eliza's singing about that it's really amazing and then the musical closes with her um kind of looking up to heaven and 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 catching a glimpse i think of her husband yeah and and it's just this really deeply moving moment of redemption and maybe for me personally one of the most powerful visual representation of redemption that i've ever seen you know, I, I think that's um, that it's quite uptown um, is is where I felt that. And again, having not not seen it, but even even just musically, and especially when you're driving, you got nothing else to do but kind of soak it in. Um, and uh, I, I would say that I had a, a similar moment of it, it was it was just of um, it, it was be, it was being impressed, but it was also like being impressed upon. Um, the the yeah. clarity of understanding for, of, of feel it's like you felt forgiveness right or well in a, in a time where like people often yeah. have trouble articulating it or have trouble feeling it or even know what it is to kind of feel it right and there was just a there's a clarity in that song um, that I, that I think is 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 very pure and very specific and it just it just you just walk away with a with a piece if you're kind of engaged in it that I, I think is difficult to do and difficult to communicate and I, I just it um I, I've definitely felt that in that song. 
Well, and it's interesting. So Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about he, – he did an interview once, or maybe it was a speech he gave, where he talks about how one of his favorite aspects of live theater is its ability to create moments of action. Yeah. And what he means by, by that is that something happens on stage that confronts the audience and challenges the audience and, and, and forces the audience to ask the question, what am I going to do in response to this moment? And so you see this this man who's betrayed his wife in the worst possible way, and you see her forgive him. And I think part of why it, it connects so deeply to the audience is every single one of us, either sitting in that theater or listening to it at home, either needs to forgive someone or needs to be forgiven by someone, certainly yeah. needs to be forgiven by God. And so it just it draws every single one of us in, and it confronts our lives, and it makes us ask the question, will we learn from Eliza's example? Will we follow the example she sets of forgiving someone who who hurt her so deeply, and yet Eliza walked with God. Yeah. And I like to I like to imagine Eliza praying and begging God to give her the ability to forgive her husband, and knowing that God was calling her to forgive and wrestling through that process, and knowing it wouldn't be easy. Uh, but she did it. She forgave him, and and they, you know, lived the rest of their lives together. So uh, this is uh, you can still pick this up uh, if, if you guys that are listening. Um, that you can get it on the Kickstarter. We got three more days. Um, the launch of the book is uh, the official release is June seventh, right? And then yep, you can do right. June seventh is the drop date. Okay, yeah, June seventh is the drop date. Um, you can still get it on the Kickstarter. You're funded though, right? Like like I, I think I saw it a week ago, and you were you had already made your funding goal. Yeah, I've already hit the goal, which is really exciting. Um, but anything I raise on top of that just helps me, you know, get get to launch this book out into the world with a little bit more resources behind it. So I'm a first time author and trying to get all the help I can get. And I have some advanced copies that I'm trying to get out into the world. So it's available on the Kickstarter. It's also after the, after three days is up, you can pre-order it anytime, uh, but it'll be officially released on June 7th on Amazon. Uh, that that's exciting. So, what type of um, what type of stuff is out there on the on the Kickstarter? I assume you can get a copy of the book. Anything else exciting? Yeah. yeah so the fun thing, yeah, the, yeah. The fun thing about the Kickstarter is that you know you're selling the book, obviously, but you have all kinds of bonus material that you have. So I yep. have a 30 day God and Hamilton devotional guide. Sweet. That I'm giving away at a certain level. Um, another thing I'm really excited about. I have some friends who are really talented musicians, and we went into the studio and we recorded a song. Alexander Hamilton wrote a hymn called "The Soul Ascending into Bliss." And so we actually wrote a hymn using his lyrics and then kind of writing a song to it. So that song is available on the Kickstarter as well. Cool. Um, there's actually even uh, two tickets in Des Moines that are available uh, at a certain level of giving. If someone wants, wants to try to grab a couple tickets in Des Moines, those those are still up there. Um, and, and then also there's an exclusive pod- podcast with Lauren Boyd, who is the uh, – we already mentioned her, but she's on, on the Hamilton cast. So there's all kinds of like exclusive bonus giveaway stuff on top of the books as well that you can get there. Yeah, very cool. Hey, you might as well get in on that. Here's the thing. Actually, I was slated to go um, with uh, uh, my my daughter and um, my niece, um, and I'm mean, going to be out of the country. But my brother and I are going to Ethiopia, so I'm going to I'm going to miss it. Him and I both are going to miss it, and so I'm, I'm super disappointed in that. I mean, it's, it's the right reason to miss it, but in general, I'm still disappointed. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, that's a bad bad timing. Uh, it's it's. Um, have you seen it? Uh, it it's coming. Has it been Kansas City? Why don't I think it was Kansas City either recently or coming coming around? Have you been back uh, to see City's, it? Uh, no, I haven't. I saw it in I saw it in New York, and then it's coming to Kansas City in uh, June of nineteen. So okay. basically, a year from now. Okay. Or you 
a little more than a year uh, is when it's come to Kansas City. So, gotcha. So uh, one of the things actually that that, that uh, I was thinking about when you were discussing it earlier about the musical um, in relation to Alexander's faith is it does kind of give the impression that he moves into a um, I don't know a more generic uh, a more generic faith. Actually, this is just the impression that I get. Um, um, he's talking about gods as opposed to a you know a god, and there, there's like um, it, it, I guess the musical at least gave me the impression that there's a lull in his life, kind of when the main primary action is happening, until the point of which um, he has that um, uh, the, he has the affair, and then kind of co- finds out on the other side and starts praying again. Is that um, is that the wrong right. impression, or do you feel like that is that's actually what is what happened in his life? No, I think that's I think that's actually pretty accurate, and it's interesting as I've gotten to know some people in the in the you know the Hamilton historical community. There's kind of differing opinions on this, and, yeah. and in some ways, you never really know someone's personal faith and personal sure. life with God. But but what what you read in Chernon, what what a lot of people also would concur with would be the idea that as a as a young man, or certainly as a boy and as a young man, he lived a pretty devout life of faith and and lived pretty intimately connected to God. But kind of wandered in his middle age years, yep. and faith didn't become as important to him. I mean, certainly, as he's married to Eliza, uh, she's attending church without him. She has a pew that they've rented in Trinity Church, but he doesn't really attend as religiously as she does. And so he kind of goes through almost a prodigal son season, it, it appears. Um, but then towards the later years of his life, he seems to return to it with, with really full fervor. And again, we have stories of him reading the scriptures to his children or him taking notes in the margins of his Bible. Um, and again, his deathbed scene is uh, – Chernov basically says if, if you know anything about the scene of his deathbed, you know, there's no doubt about this man's authentic flowering faith at the end of his life yeah. and, and really for the, the last year or so, however long that lasted. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting development that he had of very devout as a, as a youth, kind of kind of fell away from it, it appears, during some of the middle age years and then came back to it very strongly towards the end. And I think that um, I mean that follows well, I guess, even with the the, the tenor of the music, it, it makes sense, right? Like, and you you get a kind of a glimpse of your own um, your own frailty, your own humanity, and how it starts to you're trying to change the world under your own initiative, and then um, once you start to get some, I don't know, at least some sense of perspective on your own life um, and relative to things you can or cannot control, or the the depths of which you can hurt someone, like it, you start you start looking broader. Um, and outside of yourself, and uh, well, and, and with Hamilton, and with Hamilton too, you're dealing with obviously going through the Revolutionary War, yep. and the horrors that that was involved in. And it's not hard to imagine someone kind of losing his faith, uh, seeing what he saw and going through what he's what he went through. And again, a lot of this is conjecture, but yeah, sure, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, that that's a season of life that that you kind of come up against your own limitations, and you start asking some questions, and you try to start figuring out what you believe and what you don't believe, and. And and certainly that's a, a lot of people's stories. And I, I do think that I do think that part of why Hamilton's character connects so deeply with people is that he is a flawed character, right? I mean, he uh, he has these huge triumphs, but also these huge failures. And you know, in the another book you should totally check out is is called Hamilton: The Revolution, which is kind of the behind the scenes story of the play and and, and interviews with all the actors. And it's a it's a brilliant book. Uh, so you should definitely check that one out as well. But in that they talk about a conversation that the actors were having about Hamilton and asking, you know, was he too flawed of a character? Yeah. And they kind of decided that, no, that actually draws the audience in. And that helps the audience say, Hey, this person is, is a lot like me and he's a lot like my life. My life is flawed. I, I love God and I want to follow him. And yet I have failures and brokenness and, and, and flaws in my life as well. 
and that kind of a character actually draws people in and and helps them engage deeply with the story. You know, and that's that's true though. Is it would be very difficult to tell a similarly engaging story using. Um, if you want to think of any other the founding fathers, they're just um, they're a little bit too etched in stone. Like that that wasn't their reality, right? I think we know that their lives were certainly more complicated than that. Um, but but Hamilton's um, is so obvious um, that like it's something you feel like you can actually um, be invited into, um, and, and so there, if there feels like a, a greater humanity there. Um, I think that than some of the other founding fathers uh, to be able to tell this type of story and to engage in it in the way kind of the the multi ethnic cast and the ability to kind of tell the variants of the stories that are going on um even even Washington yeah. in the play kind of sits above you know it sits above everything um the, 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 that's just the way his character feels and um and yeah so, yeah, so yeah. Like, I think it would be hard to tell that story through someone else's eyes that didn't have kind of the the um the limitations that, or frailties, I guess, that, that Alexander Hamilton had or demonstrated. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great point, and I also think that that another reason that it's it's been so powerful is that nobody knows anything about his story. Right. And so it's a it's a fresh story. You know, nobody knows uh, what happens. No, it's a surprise to everyone. I mean, obviously, you start listening to the music and and you kind of pick it up, but. But before this musical came out, I mean, who knew Alexander Hamilton and his story, right? I mean, we were about to take him off the $10 bill because right. nobody really cared anymore. And, yep. and then this musical comes out, and all of a sudden, you know, U.S. Secretary of Treasury decisions are being changed because <laughs> of the popularity now of this guy's story. But it is – I do think that helped it as well was, was the fact that he was such an unknown founding father. And so it's kind of a, a fresh story for a lot of people. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, we've been hanging out. We're talking with Kevin Cloud, um, and you, you can still pick this up. We said, look, you can get it on the Kickstarter. There's lots of cool stuff going on. Two tickets uh, still open in Des Moines to be able to pick up um, at a certain uh, at a certain level. Go check that out. And if you just, um, I didn't get the, the URL, just uh, do a Google search for Kickstarter and God in Hamilton. You'll find it be the first result, and you can pick that up. You can also go to GodinHamilton.com. Um, there's information uh, sitting out there um, th- that uh, interview or excerpts from that interview um, that I was asking about earlier sitting out there. Um, copies of um, s- some of the, the the hymn or the, the the poetry that's out there is that the the one that makes up the hymn that you had recorded? Um, yeah, that's so. The, the hymn that we recorded is called "The Soul Ascending to Bliss," and that's a song that we wrote. And yeah, that's that's that'll be on the Kickstarter page as well for people that. Uh, by the- oh yeah, 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 and you can you can go check out the if you want to look at the words of that. If you go to GodinHamilton.com dot uh, com up on the blog, there's um, it, it shows what the words are, so you can kind of dig on that before uh, you get exposure to the tune there. Uh, and uh, like I said, if uh, if nothing else, uh, it's launching June seventh, and um, you can do the pre order um, anywhere anytime prior to that, and go and pick it up. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. Enjoy- Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. All right, man. Hey, that was uh, that was Kevin Cloud. You've been hanging out with his own life from the path. Hey, I, I, I dig on that. I dig on that uh, musical. Here's the thing. There's a, there's a couple of things you got to keep an eye on that aren't necessarily kid friendly. Okay, um, but but generally speaking, it's just. I mean, it's just well done. It, the whole thing fascinates me. Um, how well. Uh, musically that thing was done like it's i mean all i can't i, I skip like I, I don't think i skip a tune uh and I'm, I'm prone to skipping tunes but like I, I can listen to them like the story's engaging the stuff that they can do lyrically in there i can't i don't imagine what it's like to kind of take it in um uh, with being able to watch the stage play or whatever um but i, I would agree um 
just having listened to it multiple times, um, it, it is really the, the story itself is really engaging, and and there are just like the core themes that exist there um, on on you know on the the mercy parts that we talked about, the the, the nature of grace and forgiveness. Um, but but even kind of a trying to um, a sense of identity and, and posturing for eternity and the influence that you intend to have and um, yeah it's just it's just there's a lot of universal things in there which I guess isn't a surprise right you tail anybody around their life probably has elements of that um, but but just to be so artistically well done if you haven't listened to it just go check it out I, I don't know if you're like me I got to listen to things two or three times I listened to it once and I thought well that's all right and I think it, it probably took a second time. Um, and I just really dug on. Oh shoot! I meant to ask Kevin. There's, <laughs> there, there's a guy, um, uh, the, the, the guy who plays uh, Jefferson, um, also plays uh, the Marquis de Lafayette. And uh, there's so the guy sings super fast. And uh, I was going to ask Kevin if he ever tries to get away with that in a car or something, see if he can pull that off super fast. I he probably, I, I mean, I wouldn't have done it publicly, but uh, I'll follow up and see what I can find out. Anyway, hey, you're listening to Life for Path. Thanks for hanging out. As you can see, I'm kind of hanging out by myself tonight. Mike's out of town. He's working. I don't know what happened to Dan. We skip the show so often nowadays, he probably thought we weren't having one. So in any case, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Here's what I thought I would do um, is let's just do a couple uh, couple bits of advice, and uh, and then I will turn you guys loose, and you can kind of go about your business. So, uh that's what we're going to do. Let me uh, let me pick some up, and we're going to get right on this thing. Oh, boy. Okay, this seems pretty good. Here we go. Uh, Dear Life from the Path, my husband's brother split from his wife, Charlotte, five years ago, and now works and lives in another country. Husband's brother split. Okay. The brothers are still quite close. His school-age daughters live nearby and are close to their cousins, our daughters. Charlotte's latest boyfriend, they have been dating for 18 months has started insisting on hanging out with my husband and trying to bond with him. He's also jumping with both feet into the role of stepfather, especially with the younger daughter, who has just returned after living with her father for the last seven months. It feels awkward and weird, but we are too polite to say anything to him or Charlotte because we're afraid she'll restrict us from seeing our nieces. What is your advice? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems... It's the status that the boyfriend is difficult. 18 months, though. I mean, what do you want the guy to do? Uh, I mean, I think it's perfectly all right to try to bond with the family. And I hope he does jump in with both feet into the role of stepfather. Um, yeah, I don't know why it would feel awkward and weird. There's probably, there's got to be more about it, right? There's got to be more to it about uh, the guy's, uh, the guy's behavior. Maybe he's a weirdo. I don't know, man. I I would say, though, I mean, this seems, initially, this seems like the right thing. I, I guess to try to explain it the opposite way, would, would it feel weird to say, um, hey, there's this guy that's been dating uh, Charlotte for a year and a half, and he refuses to take on any roles like that a stepfather would in reaction to the kids and doesn't want to bond with us at all. That guy would look ridiculous. And so I think the, the opposite seems like it would be perfectly fine. So, yeah, I would say life from the path advice is like, I think this is fine. Like if there's personality issues that you're not mentioning, um, you know, you, you try to work with them. But like it seems like he's he's trying to fill ultimately what would be expected of them, the right type of roles, the right type of attitude towards it. This seems perfectly fine to me. Let's see what uh, Segler says. Segler says, Not knowing the terms of your brother-in-law's divorce, my advice is to consider that Charlotte has been with this man for a year and a half. He may be trying to form a relationship with your husband because he wants to bond with the relatives. Your husband doesn't have to be best friends with him, but he should keep the relationship cordial, not only for the nieces, but also uh, his brother can stay informed about them. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that, that last part took kind of a creepy turn, didn't it? That just seems like you're spying on people. I feel like the brother can handle that on his own. Hmm. 
Okay. Anyway, let's. Uh, what do we get here? Uh, dear life in the path. I have an <laughs> I have an addiction to vitamin gummies. Oh man, I didn't see that coming. They say to eat only two a day, but I <laughs> eat almost half a container a day. They're so good. This has been a problem for five years. What should I do? Do I contact my doctor? I'm about to graduate from high school, and I think my new college friends will think I'm weird if they find out about my gummy addiction. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Just get gummy bears. They can't be better than straight-up gummy bears, right? I, I can't. Sorry. I won't, I, there's nobody else in the studio I'm asking questions myself. I talked to the thrift store priest. All right. Uh, all right, TSP. Here's a question. I mean, is it possible that vitamin gummies are better than gummy bears? Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't think that could be true. Yeah, so, I mean, just get some gummy bears. I mean, you know, that can't be healthy either, right? Like, you shouldn't be dogpiling either uh, gummy vitamins or gummy bears. But to the extent that uh, you shouldn't be overdosing on vitamins, I mean, they just cause risks of imbalance in your life. Um, I mean, so sugar would do that too. I mean, okay, let's, let's, let's move on down the road here. Perfect solution, just stop doing that. Take the number of vitamins that you're supposed to take without any additional crutches necessary and move on with your life. Uh, option number two, slightly less perfect, is stop overdosing on vitamins and just get some straight up gummy bears. And so take your two vitamins from the gummy vitamins and then switch to, to traditional sugar gummies and uh, you know try to wean off that so you don't kind of jack up your life. Those are my two uh, recommended options. I think both are going to work. Uh, but certainly that's not healthy to be overdosing on the gummy bears. I would worry less about new college friends finding out about your gummy addiction. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's college. I'm sure they're going to do even more embarrassing things. The fact that you over, you know, take a lot of vitamins probably is not going to make the list. Uh, you poor naive person. You're going to run into trouble in college. You make sure you go with the buddy and find a church family. Yeah, yeah, okay, those are my two options. Here, let's see what uh, Sacular says. Sacular says, I'm glad you wrote. Your vitamins may taste like candy, but they are not candy. It is important that you discuss this with your doctor. The least of your troubles could be that your college friends make fun of you. What you have been doing is dangerous because it could cause unsafe levels of vitamin A, vitamin E, and minerals like iron to reach toxic levels in your system. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. That's kind of what I said. I think she over uh, oversold the thing, but, you know, in general, I think that's about right. Uh, what's, what's all this? No. No, that was not good. Let's do, let's do a couple more. Okay, here we go. Dear Life from the Path, my son a junior in college, is trying to get a summer job. His degree is challenging, and he has a good work ethic plus job experience. Because he hasn't had much luck applying online, I've been calling local businesses to see what's available while he's working hard at school. A problem I'm encountering is something I never had to deal with in my own job search. It's companies asking if he wants an internship. They say they can't pay him to train him. Can you explain the basis of this response? Uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. And, I mean, if it's a uh, junior in college, summer job, degree is challenging, good work ethic. I mean, it depends what you're applying for. Uh, I mean, if you're applying to help out in a hardware store, I'm sure they'll pay you an hourly wage. Uh, but if you're applying for, like, an upper-tier job, like whatever he's posturing for, that he has a, needs a challenging degree, um, I mean, they, uh, it, it could be – here's the thing. is like It could be that they, they don't pay. They can't pay him to train him. Um, that's possible, but it's also it's also very possible that they're they're using it to weed out basically non-committed people. Like depending on the type of job that you're talking about, um, if you say, "Look, we can't pay you, but it'll give you life experience," the people who are super committed to it are going to come anyway, and then they actually get some good help and and, and maybe even a good line on hiring somebody down the road. Um, if if 
If not, if you pay decently well because the work is hard or, you know, it requires a certain set of skill, um, you, you have to weed through a lot more people, right? Because they want the higher pay or, um, you know, the, the, the job is like kind of interesting, but the dollars associated with it make it even better, right? So, like, it could just be using it as a filter. And so, I mean, the truth is it just depends on what type of job he's looking for. I'm, I'm confident he can work anywhere, if he just wants summer wages, but if he's looking at something that actually means something to his degree, yeah, he might have to accept the internship, and that kind of stinks. Um, but but that type of life experience before you actually graduate and, and get the job um, is is probably going to be be worth it. And so I, I suppose that's something to consider. It seems unfair that he's working for free, but he's not working for free. He's he's just working for the experience, and uh, and I think that that could be super valuable for him. So it just depends ultimately on what it ends up, you know, the type of job he's talking about, but. Um, I would say I would consider an internship. Uh, I think that might be a valuable thing. If not, um, just stop calling places. You know, you know, the hardware store and Mickey D's don't ever do an internship. They're going to let you work there and just pay you an hourly wage. And if that's all you need, you know, just don't complicate your search. Segler says um, the basis may be economic. The companies don't want to spend the money on an intern, particularly one who exhibits such little initiative that his mother has to call to inquire about a job for him. <laughs> Yeah, no, I shoot. I thought that too. I let that part go, but Secular's kind of nailed it. Don't don't let mom call you call on your job, man. That's better. You want a decent job, yeah. You, you don't send mom on on the ticket. Uh, keep in mind that some internships have been known to lead to permanent positions. Your son may have better luck if he places the call himself. Okay, yeah, I think we can agree on that. I think all that sounds about right. What do you think? You disagree with that? Send me news. Don't you guys never respond? Like, so either you're taking this advice, which is foolish. It's foolishness. Uh, or you think we could have done much better, uh, in which I would like to hear that. So shoot us an email, info at livefromthepath.org, uh, and uh, we can take that uh, take that into consideration. And maybe you can help me change my ways. I'm open to changing my ways, folk. I don't know why you think I'm so stubborn in this matter. Uh, things are just fine. Uh, hey, I was going to give you a um, one more. What was, what was I going to follow up on you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiritual disciplines. So we talked about this a few, um, or I prefer spiritual rhythms, uh, but that's just persnickety on my part. Um, but I wanted to follow up with you because I told you this is something I'm working through, something that I feel like the church has always done. Like it just, it's just consistent, right? The church is always praying and always fasting. As a matter of fact, um, recently we've been going through Acts. Um, uh, it's just when Paul and Barnabas are going on their missionary journey, and like we see that they are praying and fasting. Um, same guys are uh, the church is, and then the Holy Spirit comes and tells them, you know, set aside Barnabas and, and, and Saul. And so what's interesting is that, like, it's easy to think, hey, there was a specific thing they wanted, and they were praying on that and fasting about that, and the Holy Spirit showed up. And, like, there are bi- certainly biblical examples of praying on certain things and fasting for specific reasons, okay? So it's not, it's not out of left field. But I, I think if you, if you allow that to, to, to read without boxing it in, uh, and as we look at kind of prayer and fasting, in addition to how it kind of speaks to it through Acts and the rest of the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, um, it looks to be those two things specifically, things that, the, that God's people just do. God's people just do those things. They do them in very specific ways at times for specific reasons, but it's also kind of just core to their spiritual life is they're doing things like praying and fasting. And so um, it's just been something I've been, been trying to figure out then because I think there's ways you can do it. Like you can... Um, and I wish Dan were here. I, like, he's he's um, been a better faster than I know of uh, of around. Um, has fasted for, for specific reasons. Um, um, you know, just also kind of I think looks at it in a healthy way. And we talked about that a little bit I think on the show a few months back. But anyway, I just wanted to follow up with you on some spiritual rhythm stuff. And so um, here's where I'm at. I'm not. Um, I'm still kind of plotting out how I want to look at fasting. 
Um, I have started from a prayer perspective. Um, here's my two things that I'm, that I'm working on. Uh, the first one is, is I've just, just take the simple thing. Take the Lord's Prayer. I think um, we, we underutilize the simplicity of that prayer um, by calling it a template prayer. This is how how you could, or the types of things you should pray about, which I think is fine. You can, you know, if you're going to pray unceasingly, you're going to have to find some <laughs> words uh, to, to put some variety in your life. I get it. But like, you know, it, when we think at, when we look at the New Testament church, like when it says, like, they're still doing the prayers. Like it seems, it seems to be that they are actually still praying like three times a day with some regularity. And it's likely the Lord's prayer. And so as we look at those types of things, like praying something that is, that is consistent, um, that is simple, that can be done kind of anywhere, um, I, I think has a lot of value to it. So I've started to do that. My goal is to do three times a day, um, you know, and just general parts of the day, right? Morning, noon, evening, um, in addition to, you know, praying with my kids and just praying about random stuff, um, is to, to do the Lord's Prayer. And, it, and the, the goal is to put some, um, some rhythm to it. Um, to put some exercise to it, right? These words are leaving my lips. I'm thinking of things that God um, might be bringing to my mind relative to um, the, the Lord's Prayer itself. Because um, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, the, uh, the risks I run in trying to think of what to pray about um, that kind of cycling through my mind when I could just be praying how Jesus said, hey, pray this. And and what, what's been good is is that I, as I pray, like I kind of let the... I let the words kind of float through my mind. Kind of, you ever have seen a sing-along uh, video or whatever? What did I have when I was little? zippity doo That's what I had. I had the zippity doo video, um, the Disney tunes. And um, so, so it would put the words, zippity doo zippity right? And it's got the little ball that kind of bounces up and down and tells you what, what to sing, right? And so I've been trying that with the Lord's Prayer to make sure it just doesn't kind of float off my my lips and go away and say, okay, check a box. I, I did it. Um, we, we've, we've been so worried about checking a box um, when we to, to, to do things consistently that we miss that, like, if you just don't approach it as a box checking thing, the regularity of it could be very powerful. And so, um, so anyway, that's what I've been doing is as I pray, I kind of, I kind of let it, the, the words kind of highlight into my mind um, and it, it helps me, I think, hold on to a little better. And it's interesting because what it does is it forces you to think about them in the context that you're in. Um, and especially kind of the back half, if the front half of the Lord's Prayer is is, um, is love service to God and fealty to God, and the, the, the back half of the Lord's Prayer is focused on relationships um, between me and other humans uh, primarily, which is the same way that the Ten Commandments are set up and the same way when, when Jesus answers, um, you know, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And he couples those two things together. So, like, th- that is a pretty consistent coupling in Scripture to see those two things kind of combined. Um, but anyway, it, w- what it forces you to do um, is to pray that prayer, and Jesus gives it to us in, um, in, the, in a communal aspect, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses are our sins as we forgive those we forgive those who have sinned against us and so like it causes you to look around it causes you to digest them personally and it causes you then to look around and say well hey i have daily bread today does that is there is there a we is there an us um that doesn't that i can impact um as we forgive is there something that i i need to be someone i need to be forgiving or a situation that i need to be forgiving of and then can i think of other folks of which lack of forgiveness is is cramping the day right it is separating them from um, peace that comes with just doing things God's way. And um, 
And so anyway, it, it's just been powerful for me. And like, it's a weird line because I think we got so far away from these spiritual rhythms because they became, um, they became markers of uh, righteousness, which is false. However, I think you are missing out on a fuller, deeper connection with God by not having some sort of spiritual rhythms in your life. Like you, you are, you're living your life on spiritual Hail Marys. That's, that's a risk, right? It didn't mean to be a personal accusation against you. But like the risk is, is that you are living your life on, on spiritual Hail Marys, um, which is not that the Holy Spirit is not capable of doing, but it does not seem to that, that that is the way in which God's people um, have intended to interact uh, with God and with the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that they live a, a life of um, of spiritual rhythm, of which the stories that we get in the New Testament largely show us the demonstration of those things. Because if you think about think about the epistles, those are um, contemplative writings, right? Like certainly Holy Spirit guided, but they're a result of um, teaching. Often, you don't think Paul just sat down and kicks out Romans. Um, Right, like these are he's he's thought through it. He's thought through how to tell it. He's thought through um, in his experience um, having discussions with people. There's an apologetic within Romans, um, you know, like going through these conversations. He structures that letter for those folks to kind of take it in that way. And so it, it's just interesting um, is we kind of expect that you know we're going to. Um, just show up and, and witness, or we're going to show up and uh, heal, or show up and like whatever these things that we think that the Holy Spirit does indeed do. Um, but 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 like we're just going to not put any like have any um, any practice in them, any preparation in them, and we're just going to be wide eyed and ready to rock. And the problem is, is because the Holy Spirit is capable of doing that type of thing. Like there, there's a little bit of that sounds reasonable, right? Like if God wants this done, He'll just do it. He'll give me the words. Blah blah blah. Um, but I, I, it just doesn't seem to think the, the, the framework of which um, I think God's people are interacting. I think they have a consistent lives of, of, of prayer and of fasting and of worship and of community and of celebration and of solitude and, um, and of, of scriptural study and of, uh, you know, those types of things. And, um, and even, even, even memorization, even scripture memorization. And so you put all those things together and let's, let's not use them as external marks of which we can show people how pious or righteous we are, but I, I, I think it is a is a miss to write them off um, because people could have used them that way. I think you still engage them, but you still engage them because they're good, because they're good, because they're put they put God's words on your lips, because they they put the scriptures into your mind, because they they give you time. I mean quiet solitude to be able to just you and God to hang out. And here's the deal: that's probably scares you. It scares me because I don't. I don't like where my mind goes when I'm sitting by myself. But here's the deal. I don't have practice reining that in for an extended amount of time. I don't have practice, like, continuing to persist in reaching and talking to God um, to, to otherwise not be afraid of being by myself in the places that my mind is willing to go. And maybe that's not something that happens to you. Maybe it, maybe it is. But, like, I, that's what I'm saying. I think we miss it if we write them off because people have used them wrong. We have an opportunity to engage in them boldly. And so prayer. Uh, I'm working on uh, the Lord's Prayer three times a day, of which I've been partially successful. Um, scripture memorization, I really stink. I just flat out am terrible at this. Uh, so I've been working on it. Um, I've been working on it, um, uh, just just the Great Commission um, itself and uh, get that in a couple of weeks and I'm feeling pretty good about that. The, the quarrelsome part of the Great Commission is that we kind of tend to leave the last part out, right? Like we um, we want to baptize the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um 
And then we forget to teach people to obey the commands that Jesus gave to them. And again, Jesus kind of coupled those two things together. He didn't say, do this, and then if you can get around to it, uh, go ahead and teach them to obey the commands that I've given you. Um, he's kind of put those two things together. And so um, being able to memorize that it kind of puts those things on my, on my mind. Um, so, so that I can kind of hopefully interact with them as we go. Uh, but anyway, so I'm working on scriptural memorization piece. Uh, the solitude thing I'm really still working on. Um, I, it seems very, um, very hipster to be able to take a day off work and go sit somewhere, like at a tree or on a log or something, and, and talk to Jesus. And so uh, maybe that's okay, but maybe that the thought of it, it seems, it's, it's even the thought that it's distracting, like it's, like it's a performance. Cause it had to be in a spot, had to be in a, a vibe of a forest or something. I, I don't know. I, that's probably not an issue. Maybe it's a personal problem. Um, but I'm working on that part because I'd like to do it. Um, it still has to be a rhythm, right? Not, not, not va- like vacations aren't rhythms. And so time in forest isn't necessarily a rhythm. I don't know. I'm working on it, right? I'm, I'm trying to, try to be, trying to read the scriptures and kind of let it, let it drive me to what these things kind of look like because it's just not, it's not a hard and fast law here because it was, I don't think it wasn't intended to look that way. It is something, we get to do, not something we have to do. Um, but I think we, we're missing out if we don't do it. So anyway, I'm working on what that looks like. Goal within the next month or two is to kind of do like three maybe um, of, a, of a smaller time frame. So maybe just an hour of, of, of some solitude and kind of hanging out, trying to eliminate world noise um, to the extent that you can and just hanging out and maybe reading Psalms, praying trying to deal with some silence um, and, and kind of interact with God in that way. Um, and it's it just like, you know, Jesus does, like when Jesus is tempted um, by Satan, he's by himself for 40 days. Like there's something about, um, so in fact, Jesus is often seeking solitude. And, like, and when I say we don't know, like they're not laws, but we do have the person um, of Jesus, um, like his, his fully human self, um, to, to see what he does, and he does seem to have, be focused on spiritual rhythms. And like of all people, uh, slash gods, um, you would say you would think that he would need it, right? Like that's kind of how we would think about it. Well, I do it because I need it, or I don't do it because I don't need it. But like Jesus does. Jesus has solitude. Jesus um, seems to, to, to ruminate on the scriptures. Um, and so Jesus, Jesus prays. And so I, I think these are things that we can say um, if they weren't necessary— Jesus wouldn't be doing them. And so if he is as it works as our spiritual or uh, in human kind of best human example, um, I feel like we're missing out. Anyway, I made the point. It doesn't matter. And that, that's it. I just I thought I'd keep you an update on where I'm working. I'm working slower than I intended to. I, I, I was hoping to have a plan like early March to be able to rock in this thing. And it's just, it's tugging on me. It's dragging a little bit. Um, because here's the thing. I think, I think it's going to change my life. I think there's going to change aspects because you're committing to things. You're doing habits. You're doing um, a rhythms of life and like something has to give right nobody's life is just open to be able to take on uh, extra rhythms and so some stuff's got to give so anyway I'm just working on what that looks like I thought I'd share that with y'all I do invite you to join me I don't care how you do it I don't care um, you don't have to do what I'm doing but like if any of that kind of hits home for you you recognize that there might be a value to this I encourage you to kind of seek it on your own um, there's a book by Dallas Willard on the spiritual disciplines which is um it's a little verbose. I don't, like the, he goes through the spiritual, the, the theological background, which I think is valuable to a certain extent. Um, and there's only one chapter that kind of walks through what he thinks the disciplines are and kind of how they work. Um, but, and I think that's actually not specific enough. I, it was a good book, um, but I would say, uh, you know, to find someone who really digs on that kind of thing, have them read and give you the cliff notes, and you're probably just fine. So, all right, I'm going to let you go. Uh, I kept it too long. Thanks for hanging out uh, here on Life in the Past. Big thanks to Kevin. That was cool. Um, I'm excited to read the book. 
and um, and you should jump in on the Kickstarter stuff. Maybe pick up those tickets for the for Hamilton and Des Moines. That'd be sweet. Uh, I, I want only I want to hear the tune. He's just got a lot of cool stuff going on. So go check that out. Um, he has a website too. I think KevinCloud.com and GodinHamilton.com stuff. You can keep up on what's going on with the book. But uh, dig on that. And then if you haven't listened to the Hamilton musical, or even if you just haven't listened to it more than once, um, you try to take it in and try to take it in at one sitting. Um, piecemeal in the songs, you just don't get the same vibes. Try to try to take the whole thing in. It's a roller coaster. It is just a fantastic thing. All right, I'm gonna let you go. You've been listening to Life from the Path. I don't even have outro music tonight, and you're gonna have to deal with that. So, uh, uh, and I will see you not next week. I think we're out for a week or two, and then we'll be back with you. In the meantime, be faithful. Means God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Life from the Path.